0: Uh, But let's read now, Mark 8, verse 1 through to 21. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He said. He asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small bits of fish, and having blessed them, he said to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were were about 4,000, and he sent them away, immediately got into the boat with his disciples, and came to the region of Dalmanutha. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, No sign shall be given to this generation. And he left them, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the uh, five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it you do not understand? Let's pray. Lord God, as we come to study your word together now, we pray that you would reveal the truth of your word to us with the exciting work of your spirit. We pray that we would be encouraged, built up, and strengthened in you. And we ask that you would do this in us for your glory. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had somebody over for dinner or perhaps gone out to dinner with somebody who is just ungrateful for every single thing that happens now I know I've been this person but it's frustrating to be around these people sometimes these people I know I can be this person I hope it's not you will find every single thing they could possibly complain about latch onto it and keep complaining about it last time we came over we had the same meal implication being don't you care enough to cook us something a little bit different The food was too cold, the food was too hot, my drink had too much condensation on it, there wasn't enough food, there was too much food, it was too noisy, there wasn't enough atmosphere. I've said all of those things. And we could go on, couldn't we? The list of things we can complain about despite having received something good and spent time with people who we like is almost endless. And we've got to ask ourselves a question, is it really that hard to just say those two wonderful syllables of thank you and try and enjoy the food and the company? Now Anna and I have a whole lot of family coming over for lunch after this, so I hope you're taking notes. <laughs> thank you is what we're expecting. <laughs> uh, what has this got to do with the passage today? Well, as we pick up, we pick up at the 8th chapter of Mark at the beginning there. And for the last few sermons, going back to to Mark 7, verse 24, Jesus has been moving around quite a bit. He's been going from place to place to place. Uh, That idea of Jesus moving around, spreading the good news, continues today. Twice in our passage, once in verse 10 and then the second time, verse 13, Jesus hops into a boat and travels to different places. As he is going, he is taking the gospel, the good news, to repent and believe because God's kingdom is near. Now, as he does this, we see, particularly in verses 11 and 12, there is a growing opposition to Jesus. But there is also a growing popularity among people for what Jesus has to offer. And you might think, well, repenting doesn't sound like a great thing, because repenting is to admit to our mistakes. To say before a holy, perfect and just God, I have fallen short of your standard. It exposes the things in our hearts that we are most ashamed of. That might not sound like something we should find encouraging. But with this message, there is repentance. There is forgiveness in what Jesus is holding out. It's not just admit that you've messed up and live in guilt. It's admit that we have fallen short of God's standard and live with God's forgiveness. There's that aspect of what Jesus is doing. And there's also the miracles, the healings, the feedings, and we see that take place again today. There is many reasons why people are coming out to see Jesus. People want more and more and more. We've seen multitudes. We've seen sometimes small gatherings in homes. And today we start off with 4,000 people who are there listening to Jesus' teaching. Masses are coming out to him. Now... What we read today, if you've been with us through our series on Mark's Gospel, might sound very familiar because a few weeks ago in Mark chapter 6, we read about a crowd of, of 5,000 men, uh, plus women and children, so perhaps 13,000 people there who Jesus fed with a small amount of food. They ran after Jesus. Mark tells us they, they ran after Jesus when Jesus moved away from them. And they left before that even packed lunch for themselves. They get there and they're, they're, they're hungry after a little while. And Jesus miraculously fed this mob of people. This is a very similar thing that takes place before us today. It's almost identical, even in the way this plays out. Last time, Jesus got the crowds to sit down on the ground, the disciples, particularly the apostles, they they portioned out the food and the crowds ate and then basketfuls of leftovers, large basketfuls of leftovers were collected. If you live through this, this experience once, Surely you're approaching this next one with a sense of confidence, of optimism and hopefully finding an answer to the problem that's presented. Verse 2 of our reading today, Jesus tells his disciples, we have a problem. We have a problem. These people, they've been with us for three days now and there's no food. If I send these people home, before they even get to their houses, they're quite likely to collapse along the way. Mark tells us that in verse 2 there, Jesus begins this by saying, I have compassion on the multitudes. Once more we see Jesus' heart for the people. Now, it's very easy to say that you have compassion on somebody and perhaps we're looking at this going, if they've been with Jesus for three days, maybe they've had food and have run out, maybe they haven't had food the entire time, that doesn't sound very compassionate. If this guy has the ability to heal, to, to feed them, why wait three days? it seems as if Jesus has been quietly testing the disciples who have been with him. They've lived through one of these things before. And it seems as if this is the point in which they can't go any longer without food. Do the disciples care enough to do something? Sadly, it seems they don't. But it's not going to go any further and Jesus is stepping in right now. He is stepping in. He's not going to be put off by their circumstances And Jesus raises this concern of, we need to get them something to eat. Can you go and get them something to eat, is what he says to the disciples. they say, well, Jesus, we've got a problem. We can't get enough food in the wilderness right now. And minds might be going back to what I've just said about Mark chapter 6. They're in a deserted place, a quiet place, away from food. They couldn't source the food there, but there was a solution. But these guys never once say, Jesus... We believe you can sort this out. No, they just say, we don't have enough food. We can't do it. They say, well, how much do we have? How many loaves of bread do we have? 4,000 people there and we have seven loaves of bread. You beauty. We are batting on a good wicket now. And to make it even better, there's a few small fish. doesn't look... Like it's a situation where people are going to get home without collapsing. Or just as we saw in Mark chapter 6, Jesus takes a small amount of food, breaks it, gives thanks for it, and it's divided among the crowd, and there are seven baskets left over. Twelve last time, seven this time. This is a miraculous, incredible feeding of the crowd. Jesus is looking after people. He's looked after these people for three days with teaching. He's looked after these people now by feeding them physically. And now he heads on because people need to hear what he has to say. And this, this when we get to verse 11 is where those unthankful, ungrateful, negative Nellies begin to rear their heads. And I can say that because there are no Nellies here. I have a friend who works for a law firm who was told he couldn't write about people being Karens in work emails. There was a Karen on the payroll. I can get away with negative nellies, though. So the Pharisees come in from verse 11 They once more re-enter Mark's account of Jesus' life and his ministry. And they come out to Jesus, they put effort in there. We might be thinking when we read at the start there the Pharisees came out to Jesus. This is going to be good. The crowds came out to Jesus, and that was a good thing. But Mark tells us they came out to dispute. With Jesus, they came out looking for a fight. That's all they wanted. They wanted a fight. They want to fight. Jesus, you say you're God. You've got to do something to make us believe that. Do a sign. Give us a miracle. Give us something to make us believe. Now, we've seen the disciples be a little bit slow in the uptake in the first 10 verses, but they weren't religiously trained people. We can't really expect people who grew up in trades and and working as fishermen away from the temple most of the time to know every requirement that was expected of the coming Messiah. But these are the religious leaders. They were trained. We should probably be hoping that they would do a little bit better. But these guys, they, they come out, Jesus, give us a sign, make us believe, do something incredible. And we look at what's just happened. Jesus has just fed 4,000 people from a few loaves of bread, from seven loaves of bread and a few small fish. And they're ignoring that. They ignore Jesus feeding incredible amounts of people from an insignificant amount of food twice. They ignore the fact that Jesus has a proven track record of healing every single sick person who was brought to him. They ignore the many acts of divine power showing that he is not just a man but he is God himself and they say give us proof, give us something to believe. It's a sad place to find themselves in where they just don't believe. It's no real surprise that Jesus sighs deeply in verse 12, is it? He sighs deeply, these guys have received so many signs and they say, just give us anything to believe and we will. But they won't. Give us more proof that you're God. There's a hardness in their hearts, they're just stuck in this obstinate opposition to God. All the while giving every impression that they were trusting God. And Jesus knows it's not just the Pharisees, but so much of that generation. This generation, he says, there was already plenty of proof, but you know what? It's not just then, it's now as well. We really haven't changed all that much. Give us more. Give us more. The things that happen in our lives, they they just couldn't be coincidence." They're just Things just don't happen like that. But God, we don't want to believe it's you. we we'll think anything or anyone other than you made that happen and you give us some more proof, God. We have the exact same attitude today. Now, previously we've seen Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees become somewhat explosive, a little bit confronting in their nature. But Jesus doesn't even respond to these guys other than to say, hey what, why do you keep seeking signs? You're not going to get one, you're going to believe. He hops in his boat and heads off. Sometimes the best course of action is simply to remove ourselves from the situation. So Jesus hops into a boat and he heads elsewhere. We know that that's not always a solution, but this time it is the most appropriate thing to do. And then we get to this very interesting discussion between Jesus and his disciples in the boat. In verse 13 through to 21. There's a lot more here that Jesus wants us to learn from this interaction. He is not going to to waste time with the Pharisees right now, but his disciples at least are still in a position to learn. And Jesus tells them to be careful when they're in the boat, once they find out they don't have any bread, which you'd think these guys would be prepared to be on the move by now. We'll stop here. At least one or two of us can go and get some supplies because we could be leaving quickly. You know, there's one loaf of bread among all of them in the boat. They're just not the sharpest tools in the shed, are they? But Jesus tells them, "Beware, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Herodians of Herod." Now we don't see them today, but there are those who haven't been with us in Mark before. Uh, This group of people called the Herodians, they were supporters of Herod. They wanted Herod to continue ruling uh, this parcel of land in Israel that Rome currently had control over. Normally, they would not be friends with the Pharisees, but they both hate Jesus, so they've been teaming up together to try and destroy his life, destroy his ministry. And Jesus says, beware the leaven. Now, before we look at what Jesus is saying to us here, what he is teaching us here, the disciples, as I said, still haven't quite gotten to that point of believing in Jesus, have they? We see the return in verse 13 to almost back to where we were at the start. Mathematically, one loaf of bread among 12 people is much better than seven for 4,000, but it's still not enough to feed them. There's an unpreparedness there. They've headed off another journey with one loaf of bread. And it doesn't seem to be because they trust that Jesus is going to provide. Some people would say they, they, they didn't pack bread because they knew Jesus was able to just give them food. But you look back at here at the start of chapter 8, compare that to what happened in Mark 6, they still haven't learned that Jesus can do that. They don't believe that Jesus is God yet. They just seem a little bit lost at the moment. And in fairness to these guys, they've done some amazing things. Jesus has sent them out and he's given them power to teach, to heal, to cast out demons, and they've done that. But in terms of fully understanding the, the spiritual things that God would have them learn, just not quite there yet. So when Jesus tells them to be careful, to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Herod, you can always imagine this discussion taking place in the boat, oh, what's he saying to us? It's because we have one loaf of bread, we have figured it out. Next time we'll bring 12. That's the lesson. We've learned it. We have mastered Jesus' teachings. He said this because we don't have enough bread. Leaven goes in bread. It's about bread, just bread. But we see from the string of questions that Jesus asked them from verses 17 through to verse 19 that there is an issue of belief going on here. He hasn't given this warning because they didn't have enough bread. He's given this warning for another reason. It relates topically to their lack of bread and the things that have just happened. But the reality is that their hearts have not opened up to the spiritual teachings, the spiritual lesson that Jesus is giving. Their hearts haven't yet been softened in that regard. And that's an interesting point because we look at these guys and we look at the Pharisees. The Pharisees did not like Jesus at all. The Pharisees were doing everything they could to discredit Jesus, everything they could to shut him down. The disciples are with Jesus. They probably like Jesus. They probably enjoyed hanging out with Jesus and spending time with Jesus. But they don't believe he's God. And it's that belief that is so important. Everyone through the book of Mark, who Jesus commended up till now, he has commended because they believe something because of some measure of faith that they demonstrated without faith in jesus their sin is not yet dealt with without faith in jesus their hearts are still hard without faith in jesus their eyes are still closed and the scary part about that is that without faith and their sin not being dealt with it is their sin just like our sin that created a divide between us and god And this is why we need sin dealt with. And we can't deal with it. Only Jesus can deal with it. Without faith, I know they're in a boat right now. I wasn't trying to be punny when I was writing this sermon. But without faith, they are in the same boat as the Pharisees when it comes to their standing before God. There is no one to cover over their sins. There is no one to take the punishment for them. these guys they didn't come out to fight jesus they were traveling with him they were hanging out with jesus but without believing that he is god that he can truly do and is truly the things that he says he is they're in a bad place we see here unbelief looking like two very different things one it can look like stubborn angry hostile opposition to god or it can just be Quiet participation in things of God with no real understanding of what's happened there? What's this got to do with the leaven that Jesus warns them to be careful about? A little bit of leaven, maybe yeast is a word we'd use better to understand it today, will make a whole batch of bread rise. Once you get it in, you can't get it out. It goes through the whole batch. You need to start again if you don't want it in there. There is a danger of that happening. And it leaves us with two things we can take away from this. One is for those who are, have had their eyes open and their hearts softened by the work of the Holy Spirit. And there's another one which is for everyone. That first one, flick our minds back to where we were at the start today of the sermon, not necessarily service about those negative nelly type people we know how painful those people are with their continual efforts to find fault to criticize to just not be satisfied with anything that ever happens we know that's not the sort of people we want to be or i hope we know that's not the sort of people we want to be And we've also seen time and again, and there are so many studies on this, that to continually surround yourself with those sorts of people will have an effect on you. The Pharisees, the Herodians, they continue to say, Jesus, you can't believe in him. He is no good. Look at this, that, and the other. But there's a fault there, even if there's not a fault there, and we'll just criticize. That attitude can take root. So we know there's a universal universal lesson here, a general lesson for each one of us, to not surround ourselves continually with those negative people. But Jesus doesn't just care about the people we hang out with, he cares about our hearts, our souls, and there is a spiritual lesson here for us too. And it relates back to the idea of belief. The Pharisees and the Herodians had decided that unless their own very selective, obscure set of tests or measures, whatever you want to call them, were met by Jesus, then they just would not believe. Maybe we see that happening today with people trying to make deals with God. God, if you do X, Y or Z for me, I'm going to believe in you. That's us trying to boss God around though, isn't it? And do we really need those things to happen for us to believe? We could have very easily read the whole of Psalm 19 earlier. I asked Chris to read the first six verses because particularly in the first verse... Of that psalm the heavens declare the glory of the lord we look outside those windows hopefully not because we're distracted and bored from the sermon but we look out those windows and we see things in the world around us that god has made and put in place we look at the sky we look at the rotation of the earth around the sun we look at the way the earth rotates on its axis We look at cloud patterns, at trees, the stars at night, the sunsets, birds flying by, fish in the sea. You look at anything in the world around you and you realise, you should realise, no, this can't just be an accident, somebody made that. And there's somebody who made that, the real boss, he entered the world in human flesh when Jesus came. He's not just some distant, abstract being out there somewhere. He came, he reveals himself to us in his word, in the Bible. And when he came, he did miracles, he cared about people, he had compassion on people. And he went to die on the cross for the sins of his people. We see here the first 10 verses of this chapter, Jesus gave food to people who could not provide food for themselves. If we want to deal with our sins before God, We have to perfectly satisfy every single requirement of God's law in everything we say, in everything we think, and everything we do. In the five seconds since I said that, we've probably realised we haven't. We cannot meet the requirements of God's law. We are not perfect and this is why we need Jesus. This is why Jesus had to die for his people. And that is great compassion. That is great provision. A greater compassion, a greater provision and a greater love than we could ever fully get our heads around. Uh, Sometimes we still say in our actions and sometimes in our words and we still hear people say, give me more proof. Show me more. God, just do more. This whole book of Mark, this has been written from eyewitness accounts. People saw this. And nowhere, nowhere in any historical records there were any of those 4,000 people there this day or the five to 13,000 there two chapters ago, nowhere in history of any of those people come forward after this letter was written and circulated and said, that's not what happened. Never once do we see that happen. People saw these things take place. And even though we weren't there today, as I said, remember those words of Psalm 19, we look at the world around us and we realise God has been at work. Surely it takes more faith to believe it just happened on its own and that God created it. Very, very soon we'll be wrapping up the sermon. And as we prepare to leave today, let's not be those grumpy, angry dinner guests who find fault with everything and ignore the good that is proof of God's continual work in this world. God is good, God is compassionate and he has done amazing things. Each one of us have those things in our life to be reminded of and Anna and I have that when we and we look at Zara every single time. So think about those things. If you don't believe yet, what are the things that make you consider God might have actually done the things that Mark tells us he did? And if you do believe, be thankful for every single little thing that we have. Every good thing is from God. And we should be thankful for that. And avoid becoming like those negative Nellies who just threaten to bring down everyone and anything around us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for being able to look at your word together today. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us to grow a sense of thankfulness for what you have done. Protect us from unbelief, we ask. Open our eyes, if they are not yet open, to the truths of you and your word. And we ask that we would be humble before you, seeing so many evidences of your continued work and your hand continuing to do awesome things in the world around us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our last.